Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 67 and we are in officially our first ever recording of 2018. Yeah. Welcome to 2018, Brendan. It's good to be here. And to celebrate 2018, we're starting out with a guy we've admired, loved, and been jealous of, and resented. All in one moment, <laughs> at, like in my heart, it hurt in October. Okay, I say resent, because the very moment I saw his videos out, I'm like, oh, crap. He's doing it, and he has really good quality. I mm-hmm. love his design style of his thumbnail on YouTube, and he beat us to it. <laughs> we were about to release our first YouTube video when all of a sudden I get a recommendation in my YouTube channel for Andrew Marr. And so Andrew Marr is joining us today on the podcast. He is not someone who's a competitor. He's been a friend of ours for quite some time and we've been talking with him and we finally had a chance to have him out here on the podcast. So hey, Andrew. G'day guys. G'day uh, Aaron, Brendan. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks very much for the invite. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I introduced my personal feelings of Andrew Marr, but Brendan, (laughs) if you want to introduce who he is to our podcast listeners. Yeah, so Andrew Marr is a photographer that's based in Perth, Australia, and he has uh, started his YouTube channel similar time as as we did. Was it a month earlier? It was July when it came out. I first saw his first video, and we were supposed to go out by July 4th. I'm like, okay, July 24th. And then we didn't until Until September September, 8th. And so I was like, ah, that's the only resentment I ever had for you, Andrew, was just that you beat (laughs) me to it. I've loved you ever since. (laughs) He's got great videos on YouTube, and... uh, He's got about 18,000 subscribers as to this podcast and uh, is doing very well and doing some really awesome, awesome videos. And uh, you guys should go check him out on YouTube. Yeah, if you haven't already subscribed to Andrew's stuff and you have even a tiny bit of interest in Australia photography, you got to follow Andrew Marr. He is the Australian YouTuber. I know there's other guys out there, but I love Andrew's stuff. And apparently so do you guys because 18,000 subscribers in the same amount of time that we've been out, we have... 15,000 subscribers less. So he's doing something (laughs) right that we can't even get close to. And we're hoping in 2018 to finally catch up to you, man. When 2017 rolled over last year, Andrew, I know you wrote that, had that video out about, hey, I had 5,000 subscribers and you thanked everybody and you said your goals for 28 or 2017. And in that time, you went from only 5,000 subscribers to another 18,000. I mean, that's just amazing growth. Have you been focusing with YouTube as your main goal of just, I'm doing photography YouTube. I wanted to do this. I went out to create these videos, these blogs, and I don't know, have you expected 18,000 subscribers in only a year and a half of doing this? Absolutely not. I think I I started my YouTube um, uh, you know, experience, just really wanting to document what I was doing. And I really wasn't mm. too worried about, you know, how many subscribers I was, I was getting. Having said that, I, I wanted people to watch my stuff. But, <laughs> right, right. right. You know, so, that, so therefore, you know, I, I looked at ways in which I could, I could get people, attract people to that, that content. Um, 
but I've never set a goal as yet. I'm, I'm actually thinking of it, of doing something uh, in 2018 about setting a goal by the end of the year, but um, it's really just been uh, letting it organically, organically grow. And, and I must admit, try not to worry too much about, about the numbers, even though it's, it's difficult because, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's part of what we're doing it for. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a fun validating number. When Brendan it and is. I, when Brendan and I saw your channel after two months, we said, okay, look, this guy's got 2000 followers right now. So our goal is to at least get a thousand by the, you know, in, by the end of the year. And then we'll go from there. And we barely got to like 200, 300 by the end of that year. And so we couldn't even come close to what numbers you were getting. And then our goal last year in 2017 was to hit 10,000 subscribers. And I think we were on pace to hit really well, 5,000, 6,000. But then we had a computer glitch and computer crashing. And from August until October, late October, we weren't even able to produce any videos, any good ones. We were crazy busy. Mm. And so we weren't consistent. And so our goal for 2018 is not subscriber count. I mean, I know that Jeff Peterson has an awesome goal for me to get 55,000 subscribers this year. That'd be awesome. But Brendan and I, we both feel like our goals are more content-related of consistent videos, consistent podcast, do that for our patrons, do that for everyone who's following us. And then just whatever the numbers come out to, whatever they may be, because mm-hmm. with just 3000 subscribers, you, you have a awesome group of classy photographers who are listening and following us. And we're just lucky to have this audience. And so mm, the true, numbers true. don't matter at all anymore, as much as just being consistent and giving you guys what you deserve and making cool content and looking at your content, Andrew, Almost all of it is in Australia, and a lot of it is seascapes. Now, you've started going outside of Australia with some Iceland photography that we'll talk about here later and some UK photography, even cricket. But out there in Australia in Perth, most of your photography is seascape. Um, Is that because Perth, you're just right there on the edge of the giant continent of Australia, or you just just love seascape photography? Um, Really good question. I I think if you live in Australia and you're a photographer, you've you've got to be able to embrace uh, the the sea, the beach. Um, There's so many amazing sea views and seascapes that you can capture. We've got incredible beaches. We've got incredible... Uh, cliffs and rugged coastline. So I think it's 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 unavoidable if you're going to come mm. out to Australia and take photos, landscape photos. Seascapes are certainly going to feature there. I I uh, I find the seascapes a very different type of photography because everything's happening quickly, things are changing. Mm. You're either there for a sunset or a sunrise. So um, particularly if you're vlogging at the same time, the, the pressure's there. I really like waterfalls uh, i love mountains even though there's barely any mountains uh in in western australia um because i can just take my time um so i do like to mix it up but but as you've as you've noticed seascapes are a big feature uh in my youtube channel because that's what i have to to, to photograph nice it is a beautiful mm. beautiful seascape too i mean you've gone out and have some vlogs talking about shooting directly into the sun, shooting away from the sun, having your seascape and land has water recedes over it. We just got done with our own experience finally of seascape photography in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And we're really jealous of those people who live on the coastlines when it comes to landscape photography, because it was hard to find a shot that wasn't beautiful. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're, We're lucky in Western Australia, we've got the sun setting, obviously. So it's a little bit easier to, to get, 
the, uh, the the setting sun, those sunsets and the, and the colours. Uh, but we've also got some areas down south where the sun is rising from the uh, from the left and setting on the right. So you've got a little bit more flexibility there um, as well. But it's always there's always a lot of energy, I think, with the water and with the beach, with the with the water and the waves. Uh, that yeah. I think that's what's exciting, and uh, there's there's plenty to capture. Whether it's the beauty, whether it's the action, whether it's the the energy there, um, it depends on what story you're trying to to capture in your image. Now, not knowing my Australian geography exactly, I'm thinking Perth is roughly the opposite of Sydney, right? On the other side, pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. with a little Perth, bit further down the coast, but yes. Does it change weather-wise whatsoever from Sydney, or is it pretty much similar, just completely different time zone? Um, well, good question. We've um, we have some really nice uh, winter um, climate, I-, I think, and of course, spring and autumn are the best times for uh, or the, provide the best conditions for landscape photography. Summer in Perth is very challenging. That's why I tend not to post a lot of content during summer. I, I really struggle to either not only capture video and, and capture a vlog, create a vlog during summer, but I struggle just to have the motivation of, of getting out there and, and capturing uh, images simply because it's very hot, mm. ah. 40, degree, 40 degree heat. There's no <laughs> clouds. Um, we have a very early sunrise which is somewhere around four and five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning (laughs) oh man Um, so that's a bit of a challenge and um and usually when the when the sun is setting we have a lot of wind come in from from the sea we've got uh 30 40 kilometer hour or up to 30 40 kilometer hour winds the usual sea breeze is around about 25 kilometres. So if you've got breaking waves, you've got spray just spraying straight into the camera, it's really hard to get those um, uh, those images. But you've just got to work a little bit harder, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was curious, and I saw some of your channel get slower in the summertime for you, wintertime for me, if it was something that you're out with family, family trips, and it's just like our July is really hard for us to get time to go out. We usually do only one or two trips in July just because we have family events, big trips. Are there summer vacations that are getting in the way, or is it just simply that, man, it's crazy hot. You'd have to be out there at the three in the morning, two, two in the morning in order to get a sunrise, that it's just the challenges are getting in the way? Yeah, look, I've got a very supportive family who, who know that I love taking photos. Um, I've got kids that, that love to come out with me. Uh, I think one of my latest uh, videos down at uh, Waden Up, uh, I had the kids with me. So, so nice. they, they love to come out and take photos with me and they love the outdoors and climbing over rocks and, and having, um, having heaps of fun. Uh, it is that struggle that when you're going out there with family, uh, the the main goal is to spend time with each other. Um, but you're right, you, the the sunsets are really early. Sorry, the sunrises are really early. So therefore, my real only opportunity is to is to grab a, a sunset. Um, and we may only be out there for for three or four days, and it uh, it might look good, but we're we're taking a hike up somewhere else and we're not uh we're not in the right spot because my primary goal is not to necessarily take landscape photos uh, mm. when we're on a family holiday yeah yeah pro- of probably a, I, I probably use the time to do a little bit of scouting right right 
Oh yeah, valuable yeah. time, mm-hmm. and you can hang out with family and do that, and they don't have to wait for you to get the right shot. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because it's there's a lot of time that you need to sink into getting the right shot. Sometimes that can be an entire evening, and you you don't want the family just waiting around for you to to get that shot. Yeah. So around your area in Perth, if you're not out there on the seascape, what's your favorite place to go out to? Oh, if I'm not, yeah, uh, if I'm not going to the sea probably waterfalls um i'm it's very very sad that i love waterfalls but <laughs> we don't have any waterfalls in um or in and around perth that that run for very long so we've oh. got very small waterfalls that might run for a couple of months during the winter um, but it really depends on when the rain comes and how hard that rain hits we need plenty of water for the uh, for the rivers to run and uh, and for those waterfalls to to take action and be full of water, be vibrant and uh, be ready to have their, their photo taken. So mm. um, that's probably what I, I like to do. Uh, if we had more hills, more mountains, um, I'd love to take more, more mountain type shots uh, like I did when I was overseas. Um, I love the forest as well. We don't have a lot of forest. We have a lot of bush, which is very messy around Perth. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I suppose... Waterfalls and, and seascapes, but waterfalls is a very narrow, narrow opportunity because mm. they'll, they'll dry up just within a couple of months. Yeah. I remember one of your videos early on where you said in the description, or maybe you said it during the vlog, that you heard that a waterfall was running, or you heard that the waterfall was going, and you came out to go and find it. And I didn't quite understand what how you meant it, but now it makes sense. It's just the fact that sheer water runoff in the waterfall was just... N- constant throughout the year and so it wasn't that you heard that it existed you just heard that it was actually on so to speak yeah yeah i got a lot of comments about that because um obviously in a lot of locations overseas uh rivers will run or the waterfalls will run all year round right Um, and and there may be some waterfalls up north of western australia it's it's a completely different climate up there that they may run um, all year round, but certainly the waterfalls around Perth, around the south area, they dry up because we have a very dry, uh, a dry summer, and uh, we're getting less and less rainfall during winter. So, uh, so it is, you know, I hear on um, Instagram that a particular waterfall is running. I think the one that you're talking about was down at Nanup. Uh, I didn't end up finding that waterfall, unfortunately, oh. but uh, it was one that was only running for a matter of weeks before it dried up because it was only a very it's only a very, very small um, waterfall, only uh, mm. one or two meters high. Well, that's an interesting challenge I never even thought about. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. In, mm. in the Perth area, Australia, you're thinking low light pollution, I'm assuming, outside of the main population area in Perth. Have you had any chance to do Milky Way photography out there? Most of us in this group, we love Milky Way photography. Yeah, look, it's something that I've never done, but um, it's one of my... Uh, content goals for 2018 is oh, hmm. I'd like I'd like to uh, experiment a bit. There's we've got a few people that I know uh, in Western Australia that that take Milky Way shots and astrophotography, um, and we've got some nice locations. We've got the Pinnacles, we've got the Sand Dunes up at Cervantes, uh, mm. that are beautiful locations uh, that are yeah out out in the middle of nowhere. So you have very little or minimal 
light pollution. You've got some nice foreground. So um, that's that's something I'd like to sink my teeth into this year. Oh, definitely nice. do it. I, I can't wait to see the videos about it. And when we come out there and we get a chance, and I'm saying this on the podcast, making it a contract right now that, hey, we'll hang out with you and we can go and do Milky Way photography in that area. That'd be such a blast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are some... There's some beautiful locations around Perth. You've just got to drive a bit to get to them. I can imagine. Uh, but yeah, if you if you guys uh, if you guys make it out here, I uh, I, I don't mind saying it on this <laughs> podcast that I, I I will commit myself to uh, catching up with you and, and taking you around and showing you some beautiful locations. Awesome. awesome. There's about a thousand witnesses now, so this has to happen. <laughs> Boom. Great. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> so we were talking before the podcast started about one, some of your favorite photos and some of your cool areas that you've been in. You mentioned the Sterling Range. Where is that and why do you love the Sterling Range area? Yeah, so the Sterling Range is south of Perth, quite a way south. It's only about a 40-minute drive from um, the Great Southern Coast, so the, mm. uh, the, the southernmost part of Western Australia. It's about a 40-minute drive up. Oh, and okay. it's this very small little area of uh, mountains. Um, it's a mountain range. Not very big mountains. Ah. Um, but they're, they're more like rolling hills. But in Western Australia, we call them, we call them mountains. <laughs> and you can get some, uh, some conditions there that are very unique. Uh, you know, we, uh, because of the, the um, elevated land, you'll get... Uh, cloud cover, you'll get some um, some rain participation. It, it, during winter, it does every now and then snow there, but it is a very light dusting, and it doesn't snow every year. Mm. Right on the on the on the top on Bluff Knoll. Uh, so if you're from Western Australia, uh, you'll be very very familiar with the uh, with the Stirling Range, and it's a it's an area that I like to go to, uh, if not once a year, at least once every couple of years uh, because it is i suppose so unique there's unique uh, fauna and flora there uh, there's also unique landscapes and and uh, the reason why i i picked that this area to talk to you guys about is um you know because of the mountain range because of the clouds the light is very different and i love working with light that is that is completely different to the light that i'm used to um around around the perth area which can typically be quite harsh this is very soft light mm, because yeah. of the clouds yeah. um and and one particular uh, this was right at the beginning of my uh, attempt to create videos and vlog about the photography i went down to the sterling range the idea was to go down for a couple of days but the conditions weren't particularly good so i kept on going down to albany which is another favorite area of mine to uh, to take photos and then i drove back up to the sterling range and again i didn't think the light was uh, working for me, but because I wasn't um, familiar with it and I wasn't uh, wasn't reading the light particularly well, um, I didn't realise that as I was walking along, it was getting better and better and better. Mm. And um, I found this little location that was looking out across uh, the range, and uh, just as I was standing there and just observing what was happening, the light was just changing in front of me, and uh, I thought I'd better quickly go and grab my camera and, and capture what I was witnessing because. It was just one of those special moments. I wouldn't say it would be a perfect moment, but it was a, a really special moment to see all the elements come together. And I, I took a couple of shots there that uh, that I've been able to 
capture the video or the vlog about and also post a couple of the images up on the website. Nice. Well, if you're okay with it, Andrew, I'd like to share this picture in the show notes or we can at least share a link. And you guys, if you guys go to um, photogadventures.com forward slash EP67, you can see the show notes for this and look at this picture he's talking about. Right now we have the one open, Andrew, that has just almost two-thirds of the picture are these really dynamic clouds. Mm -hmm. And then the rolling hills with the light hitting some and not hitting others and just the light rays. Some rainfall and some light rays, yeah. That's what it is, is the rainfall right there. I think so, yeah. It is just gorgeous. It is, it's an amazing feeling looking at it as you think about just the atmosphere of the area. I I don't know. I know it's Australia versus New Zealand kind of situation, but I think Lord of the Rings when I see this. <laughs> I think Lord of the Rings. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not Look, it, New Zealand. It's, it's really beautiful. It's, it's just one of those examples, I think, where you you can look out on that scene without the light and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I, I think because your eyes work out that there's distances and depths to it. But if I was to take a photo of that scene without the light... It would look quite flat and I needed the light to be there to have those shadows, to have those sun rays and to create that interest enough so that I could capture an image that was was worth um, looking at as as opposed to just unfortunately a flat image if the light wasn't there. So a great example of how you needed not just a good location, but you needed some interest in in the sky with the clouds and you needed the light to do the right thing. So you needed a few elements to to work in my favor. Right. And before you captured this shot, what was it like? How did you choose your position and how did you choose what to compose around? And did, did you have to wait or were you some, was this something lucky? How did this go before you captured this shot? Yeah. So I would, I found a location that I didn't want to be too high up on uh, one of the taller mountains in the area, but I wanted a location where I could see rolling hills. That's what I was kind of going for. And I was actually looking in the wrong direction. I was I was hiking away from that scene, <laughs> up a up a slightly bigger mountain, because uh, I thought that would give me a a better a better view and look in the other direction. I looked in that direction. It wasn't there. the The sun was in the wrong, coming from the wrong angle. So I had kind of you know finished my walk and I was walking back uh, towards my car when I saw oh. these rolling hills and thought that's the sort of thing um, I'm looking for and just stood there and and watched it for probably uh, 15 minutes as the the clouds were coming in the clouds were coming in behind me Um, that's why I think uh, looking out looking out behind me wasn't wasn't ideal and looking at that scene about an hour earlier it wasn't ideal I had to wait um, for the for the clouds to come in from behind me to to where you see them now. So uh, I was just in the right area at the right time. But, wow. <laughs> you, know, you you can get a little bit more lucky with that the more you visit a location. So I suppose it's a, it's a good reason or a good lesson to be revisiting locations at different times of, of the year. The more time you can spend there, the, the more chances you are to, to hit those, those conditions where the elements are right. Absolutely. That's a great tip because we've noticed that ourselves, especially um, the second year going out to the dry canyon which is a place by aaron's house and we got fall colors there last year we went up again this year and clouds were totally different you know from one year to the next and even the season was even a whole month later, later. yeah and it still turned yeah. out really great 
And it's a yeah, good, it's yeah. a really good lesson too of when you're at the location, you think ah, nothing's happening, nothing's working, mm-hmm. that it still can change on you. And that to oh, just yeah. the fact that you went out there, you had the perseverance to be there, gave you this shot, even though an hour earlier you thought, oh, well, it's kind of a bust, kind of a bust. But what a, what a scene. I'm trying to understand what the scenery was like where you had your tripod. It's, it's so wide open right here in the foreground, and it's kind of a vista looking over. What lens did you use? Did you telephoto in? And what was the scenery like that you put your tripod down? Uh, so there was a, tr- a very small track that kind of disappeared into the bush into into kind of, you know, no track at all. So mm. I had this little clearing where obviously somebody had uh, created a small fire. Um, I think in the video I show mm. some of the, uh, that location because oh. uh, I, I had some problems with my, my filter. One of the screws came undone and I know that I was uh, having to put the, the – uh, the filter holder back back together again so that I had the filters <laughs> for this shot. Um, I had bush in front of me that I've kind of cropped out. So I've taken quite a wide angle. I think the the lens that I used was a, a 24 to 70, uh, okay. which which I'm finding more and more is my is my go-to. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. If, if it's not a seascape, then I tend to find that 24 mil is wide enough. Mm. Um, particularly, particularly for this sort of thing, because if you go much wider, those those hills and those mountains, they're not all that big to right. start mm-hmm. off with. But mm-hmm. the wider you go, the the more they disappear. So you don't want to go too wide on these sort of shots. With seascapes, it's it's a little bit different because um, it's the foreground that creates that interest, and and the sk- the sea is just goes on forever. So you can you can go wide and still be capturing that um, that fantastic mm. view. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I was, I had some small, um, shrubbery bush in front of me, um, no higher than probably my chest. Oh, okay. uh, and I had, I had the camera extended up on, on a tripod. There was no wind or very little wind. Uh, so I could do that just to get that little bit, a uh, higher elevation above the bush in front of me, which I ended up cropping out. There's a valley that goes, drops off in front of me and then goes back up. Um, onto that, onto that next, um, onto that next hill that you kind of see just in the foreground yeah, of the image. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. <laughs> That's why it gets that really different light here and yeah, shadow just, there. Yeah, it's got that hard line yeah. shining on that green, and then the dodge just goes down, and then you have that dark shadow. Right yeah, so that. I'm probably yeah. around about I'm probably around about the middle of the of the range itself, and if you look off into the distance, um, that's that's probably where the range actually ends. So it's mm. it's not it doesn't go for hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. Oh, it's, it's a very small interesting um, location. Yeah. You mentioned before you were saying something about the conditions weren't right to go out here or go out to somewhere else. It being Australia and just the complete diversity in the environment and climate, what are you referring to when you say it wasn't the right conditions to go out there? What are the challenges that prevent you from making it out there? No clouds. Oh, um, that's, uh. that, that is often my, my challenge. I think you'll, if you see a lot of my images, I do like to have that interest in the sky. Um, sure. and, uh, I probably, I, I've never counted it, but I probably have far more, or we have far more days without clouds in, um, in Perth than we do days with clouds. Wow. So I'm, I'm always on the hunt for, for clouds uh, because it gives <laughs> me that interest in the sky. 
it also softens the light, of course, uh, which is which is the other great thing yeah. uh, about cloud. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I get that very very harsh uh, light, which I'm trying to work out how I can uh, take images in in harsh light or light that is not filtered through cloud and and still make a good image of. A, that is a definitely a challenge. Yeah, that's interesting. Still working on that. I mean, yeah. the moment you become a Milky Way photographer, that will completely change. <laughs> yeah, it's it's opposite. <laughs> you you will have clouds yes. all yes. the dang time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And look, it's probably why I should be uh, into more more Milky Way astrophotography <laughs> stuff. I, we have plenty of plenty of nights which are crystal clear. Mm. Oh, that's amazing! Gonna love mm. that about that area. See, and I, and I grew up in Phoenix, so I know what it's like to have, you know, 20 years in Phoenix. I mean, the, the, the average, I think, is 250 days out of the year where it's just clear sky. Yeah. Just no, yeah. no clouds. Wow. Yeah. And so you just you Look, we deal have, with the fact. We have, um, yeah, we have, we have so many days that are, that are clear skies that I know that the last day that we did have cloud was, um, was Tuesday last week. Um, and it was just a great day. I didn't take any photos, but I just love cloud in the in the sky. It's uh, um, it's just a good day if, if there's cloud. <laughs> nice, man. That's an interesting thing. I never would have thought that that would be a kind of a situation out there. Is that well, the conditions aren't right to go because I can't expect clouds whatsoever mm. down in south- southeastern Utah, southern Utah. We can have it change on us quickly, but it sounds like in your area, Andrew, you're going to deal with days and days and days of no clouds. And so curious, curious challenge for a landscape photographer. That's devastating. Mm-hmm. And yet you're pulling out. Yeah. Look, in, in, in Perth, we can go for months without clouds. Months. I was not overstating it when I said days. Mm-hmm. It was actually months. Months. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. You got to get yeah, a telescope. Get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so what I do is I do go down south, down the the southern coast, the great south, uh, the great southern coast um, of Western Australia, where Albany and Esperance and and, and Denmark and Warpole, those places down there, um, there there are some fantastic coastline, rugged coastline, and there there is more chances of getting um, oh. getting cloud. Albany is one of those places where you can get three or four seasons in the one day, which is quite nice. A little bit of drizzle and, and the, the clouds roll away and then you might have a couple of hours of, of beautiful sunlight and then the clouds might roll in before the sun sets. So that's oh, quite man. interesting. Yeah, ha, but it's, ha. you know, it's, it's six hours drive from, from mm. Perth to get to, to get to Albany and that's quite a quite a <laughs> close location for us in Western Australia. That's just what I was going to ask is what kind of a drive does that mean for you to get out there? But it's not something you can do midday and go, you know what? I'm going to go do sunset out there now, Benny. You have to decide for your day that you're going to be out there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's some locations that are closer. So there's, uh, there's some um, waterfalls close by if they're running in Perth that are uh, only just on the outskirts of the metropolitan area. Uh, so, you know, half an hour to an hour's drive. We've got um, Bunbury and uh, um, Dunsborough down south, which is probably only two and a half hours. So you could, you know, you could drive down there if the conditions are, are right. Um, and that's where the Boyne Up Forest is, which is one of my favourite forests in Western Australia. Oh, right on. Uh, and Sugarloaf, Sugarloaf Rock is down near Dunsborough as well. So that's a good location. But if you're going to go down to the southern coast, then it's a, it's a trip bit of camping and uh you know you spend a couple of days down there but you'll you should get some pretty good um conditions 
once you're down there because it's such a, a great location. Well, I want to talk about some of your other unique locations out there. You mentioned the Pilbara, and I'm not sure how far away that is from your area in Perth, but let's come back after our first break, and let's talk a little bit about these unique locations that you've gone to from Perth to try and expand the different kind of looks that you have in your landscape photography. Mm, So we'll take that first break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everybody. We are talking with Australian photographer and YouTuber extraordinaire, Andrew Marr. Hey, Andrew, we're back in segment two, and we're going to talk about an area that you were mentioning is a spot that you go out to, to kind of, I don't know, I mean, you mentioned Perth and the challenges with around Perth. We were just talking about the cloudless months of January and February and how for a landscape photographer to have your main canvas be gone cloud that's just devastating so when you're trying to go to other places and cool places you mentioned pilbara area the pilbara where is that from where you live yeah so western australia is is a is a very large state it's um over three times the size of texas it's over 11 size 11 times the size of the uk so getting around the state is is the challenge and so within (laughs) Within Western Australia, we've got all of these regions that are very, very different and we've got a very much a diverse uh, set of landscapes uh, here, but getting to them is the challenge. So I've, I've talked about the southwest um, and the great southern coast. Yeah. To get to the, to get to the Pilbara, and I, I lived in the Pilbara for over eight uh, years uh, teaching up there. Ooh, um, really? It's, it's a 17-hour drive. What? North. From uh, which I've done from Perth. Perth. Oh, 17-hour yeah. drive. So 17 and well, 17 and a half, and that's in <laughs> one straight go. So there are wow. a few places you can stop on the way. There's Geraldton, there's uh, Carnarvon, uh, you know, wow. Shark Bay. There's there's lots of places that you can stop to kind of cut your trip up. But okay. I've done it. I've done it with my wife and a and a three-year-old when my son was three huh. years, and uh, we had to stop off at. Um, uh, Carnarvon on our way up just to give the baby a, yeah. a break. Yeah. As so, you can understand. But mm-hmm. it's a very, very unique region and the landscape is uh, is very, very unique as well. And I've done some photography up there. So this yeah. area of Pilbara, is it 17-hour drive because it's just that far or are there areas that are just that hard to traverse that you're going so slow that it turns a 15-mile drive into a one-hour drive? Is it something that's hard to drive through or far, far away? Oh, so this is just the main highway. It's pretty straight. It's mm. a very good road. Uh, this is going at a 110 kilometers an hour um, oh, straight yeah. up there. We're talking about the, just the sheer distance. The and it, sheer that is, distance. we're not talking about going all the way to the, to the top of Western Australia either. Uh, wow. We've got the Kimberley region, which is even further than that. So we're talking, there's a, it's a couple of days uh, straight, straight driving to to, to get there. Yeah. So to, it's over a day. <laughs> to yeah. commit to go out to this location, do you do it that many times out a year? Oh no, 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 no. The last time I was there was probably three years ago, three or four years ago. Oh, um, okay. And I'm starting to get the itch to to get there again soon. <laughs> so I'm I'm not too sure whether I'll make it in 2018. That 
it uh, it might be a nice goal for me to to try and get up there. Awesome. Are these yeah. pictures so, we're looking at on your website? You guys, if you want to follow Andrew Mar's photography, go to andrewmar.com.au and you can see his 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 um portfolio here and you go to images and you check out Pilbara, Pilbara. And this all these pictures we're looking at in your portfolio here, are they mostly from that experience 3 years ago? Yeah, 3 years ago. So mm-hmm. I left um I left the Pilbara the, the pictures actually are from a particular region called Karajini National Park, okay. uh, which is probably another four hours inland from <laughs> wow. from Karatha. So you you probably couldn't get there in any less than, than 20 hours. Wow. Uh, um, and it's a very, very remote area. You've got uh, Panawanika, uh, you've got Tom Price, which is at one of the gateways into the National Park. And then on the other side... Uh, you've got Newman, uh, and uh, these these places are mining uh, towns. So wow. uh, predominantly, the population are uh, from the mining from the mining sector in in Western Australia. Uh, and it it's a big effort, as you can as you can see. You know, right. uh, yeah, describe to, you, describe the landscape that makes it worth the twenty hour drive. Well, the. <laughs> You, there's not much to see um, in in between, although the landscape <laughs> does change quite a bit, particularly around uh, Geraldton, Carnarvon. Uh, there's some beautiful, beautiful uh, seascapes and, and coastal areas up around Durian Bay. Uh, on your way up, Shark Bay is, an, is another beautiful place. Uh, on your way up to the Pilbara, you've, there's two main towns. There's... Um, Headland, Port Headland, which I, I lived in for a year, and then there is Karatha, which I lived in for, for eight years. And then from there, you then take the trip inland to, to Karajini. And uh, it is it is red rock. It's very, very hot. We're talking about temperatures sometimes <sighs> up above 50 degrees. Up above um, 50 degrees. We just did a conversion yeah, yeah, over so the break, guys. cases where there's Ooh. been you know, 52 <laughs> uh, degrees. Wow. So just put that perspective for those of you at Fahrenheit only. We just did a conversion of forty-two degrees, and that's one hundred and seven degrees. So if you're looking at fifty degrees plus, that's nuts. And we were looking at your portfolio, and we're seeing how it's just the skies are empty of clouds, except for one picture where it has a few clouds. And you probably saw us over here on the Skype. Brendan was mentioning it was like thought bubbles, like someone's thought bubbles coming off their head, saying, "Huh, I've got an idea." <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Look, just uh, the 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 days that I was there for that for that trip, um, unfortunately, I didn't get a lot of cloud in the sky, and it would have been really good to have had that. Oh, uh, of course, that interest there. So a lot of the a lot of the images were taken uh, in at sunrise when the when the light was a little bit softer, and you don't get that harsh contrast in the actual canyons themselves. So there's a whole bunch of of gorges that make up the the national park, and that's what the real feature is um, at Karajini. Uh, but the Pilbara is is uh, I suppose the main feature of the Pilbara is its flat uh, desert like uh, landscapes. Yeah, mm-hmm. very flat in all these pictures, and then you can see these gorges and canyons that go way down. It's oh, I mean you you wouldn't know that they were there until you were right on top of them. Mm. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the incredible things is you can be walking around and if it wasn't for the signposts and sometimes there aren't any signposts, you walk straight up and suddenly there's a drop of, um, uh, well, you know, 30, Whoa. 40 meters. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to picture in your mind what this looks like, picture a cross between Zion's Narrows, the the area over at Natural Bridges, where it's just flat area, drop down, major gorges, major canyons, but uh, Mars-like, but partially terraformed. It looks like Mars is receiving new moisture, and there's just furry vegetation all along the sides of the cliff walls at yeah. different heights, all the way up the cliff faces, the top. But it's all this white, tan-colored vegetation and green bush. It With is very deep red rocks. Very I mean, deep. The yeah. contrast between these white, green vegetation and the red rocks is really cool. Oh, yeah. It is yeah, it's nuts. very, it's very, very unique, isn't it? It's a, it's a very, very special place, and I suppose that's one of the reasons why I like to to visit there because of its uniqueness. But you just, uh, you just get this different sense, this different connection with with the land and uh, and the landscape there. It's it's quite remarkable, and yeah, you can see the red rock, which is um, a big feature right across the Pilbara. Mm. In some of your pictures, you're actually down there at the water level inside this narrow canyon. Is most of it hard to get to, and that's why most of your pictures are from above looking down? What's the terrain like to get down there? Yeah, so I suppose this this brings it back to why I've brought it up as a as a <laughs> bit of a scary experience. Um, there's just there, there's a couple of elements here that make it um, unique, that make it scary. One is the remoteness. You know, we're hours and hours and hours away from... Uh, from the nearest town, depending on which which part of the national park that you're in, Tom Price isn't isn't too far away. And from memory, I think you're around about two and a half hours, maybe two hours uh, from still. from Newman. That's so, scary. That is scary because you put yeah, you isolated yeah. from anything if anything happens. Mm-hmm. One of the signs, or one of the, uh, the the things that they have on the signs repeatedly is really you shouldn't be. You know, you should have a hat, uh, sun cream, something to eat, something to to drink. But you shouldn't be there on your own. You you, oh, you should man. be there with somebody else for obvious reasons. And when I've been there, I've tended to be there uh, on my on my own <laughs> simply because I don't have I don't have too many people that I go and, and take to photos date, yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. So so bit. that remoteness, and of course, it's this place is full of life. It's full of snakes. It's full of. Uh, uh, I don't know whether you can see on the website. There's a picture of a little waterfall. That's um, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, that's Fern Pool, mm, and that's awesome. Right behind me, as I took that photo, uh, there was this massive, massive snake, uh, brown <laughs> snake. And and if you see a snake in probably in Western Australia, you can pretty much guarantee that it's it's poisonous. It's mm. uh, it's venomous. It's that bad. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, the majority of our the majority of our snakes are are venomous here. Um, you just have these moments where you're absorbing these these uh, landscapes, these views. You're trying to work through how to best capture them, and then you forget how isolated you are, and that you are surrounded by uh, these dangers, whether it be from the snakes, whether it be from uh, rock falls, uh, anything like that. 
Ah, that's very scary. I mean, that's the good thing about Photog Adventures is that Brandon has me, I have him, and we're always out in these locations where we can kind of report. He died. You know, that's what happened. He died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can report Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he finally fell off the cliff. I think it's really important uh, because, you know, being able to f- take photos with somebody else, obviously there's the advantage of being able to talk about composition and what you want to try and experiment with, but there's also that safety, uh, that safety net, that, that element that... You know, if something does go wrong, there's somebody else, there's a mate there to, to help you out. I think that's that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We were just looking at that picture that looks very much like the Narrows, where you have the water that you're walking through, the cliff walls going up, and the green trees in the distance and on the walls. That is a beautiful place out there in Pilbara. I would say when we're out there to hang out with you and we go visit – Maybe we shouldn't drive out to the Pilbara. That's a little mm, bit far. Yeah. That's a little bit far. It would take up a ton of time. And, geez, I, I, the luck that Brendan and I have with vehicles and, and tires, I don't think <laughs> we should ever put you in that situation, Andrew. So definitely <laughs> yeah, won't. Yeah, look, it's a big effort. It's a big effort. And it's, <laughs> it's not only a big effort, it's expensive. Mm. Uh, just, just to get there, it's much cheaper for me to – to travel to you know any of the Asian countries around Australia or um, uh, even New Zealand, it's it's cheaper to get there. A flight up to up to the Pilbara's. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to segue into that, and that's a perfect segue because you have done tons of photography and seascapes and waterfalls and out here in these areas of Australia, places that you know all the videos I've watched. I needed to check every location on the Google map before I watched the video because I should have had more of a context of how far you went from Perth and where you were going because all of it kind of seemed like your backyard, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. You were going crazy far distances. But then you started showing up with pictures and videos out in the UK. And what brought you to the UK? Was it the cricket match that you were out there for? Or were you just with the family doing some tourism out in the UK and you had an awesome opportunity to do that and head out to Iceland? Yeah, so it all came about um, with a opportunity to go with my local cricket team. I, I, I play cricket uh, at Carinup Cricket Club uh, and I've uh, always thought that it would be a great opportunity to go across to the UK and just play cricket. You know, it is the, the home of cricket is in the UK. It's where the sport was, uh, was invented and... Uh, uh-huh. You know, in terms of passion, I, I not only enjoy photography, but but cricket is a big part of my life, particularly in the in the summer months. So this opportunity of going across and playing cricket was definitely something that I was going to do. And mm. uh, but the real experience was about uh, f- taking photos in a completely different conditions. Um, I wanted to challenge myself and take the opportunity of of being able to capture some of these scenes. And I took a middle week out mm. and okay. drove grabbed a car, rented a car, and drove up to the Lake District. Um, ah, nice. And, and yeah. that, that's where that's where I met up with uh, Adam from First Man Photography, and it was a really, really special opportunity to be able to meet him. Um, I know I'd, I'd followed him on YouTube for quite some time, and, but to be able to meet up with him, we had a really good chat, we had coffee, and, and uh, we had... Uh, talked to and fro before I got over to the UK and knew that we were going to do a, a video together. And uh, he was very, very kind to spend the day with me and had planned a, a hike, a walk uh, through the the Lake District, some of the Lake District um, mountains over Buttermere um, and, and show me what the, the Lake District had to had to offer. And I'm 
Hmm. Very, very grateful that he uh, he did that planning and uh, and spent the, the day with us, and we had a fantastic time. It's one of my highlights for the for the trip, meeting up with Adam and spending uh, time with just such a great fellow. I know he's been on the podcast with you guys. Yeah, he's an um, awesome guy. He is, he is, and uh, it was a really special day. And uh, we we made a couple of videos. He posted a video, and and I posted a video. It was a just captured uh, great memories around um, not only meeting him, but you know the area as as well. So I was uh, yeah very very lucky to yeah, be right on. Do, uh, with him. And then I pushed on to Scotland and went up to Scotland. The reason why I wanted to go up there was I knew that it was beautiful. But my grandfather was born in glasgow in scotland oh awesome so i wanted to go through uh, glasgow and then um get up to glencoe and, and have a look at, at some of the low some of the beautiful beautiful scenery up there in uh, glencoe all right james kelly's showing us a lot of scotland now and we're excited to see more of his videos because mm-hmm. he's up there in scotland and man i don't even understand all the beauty that's up there i can't wait to get to know it yeah yeah well i've been looking at some of the uh some of the videos that uh, of Glencoe that you have on your channel mm-hmm. uh, oh, by awesome. James and um, just just the the scenery is so different to what it was just months ago what is it five oh, months really? ago, six months ago when I was up there it's um, you know it's snowing now up there it was never oh, snowing when yeah. I was there it was right. very very green but those those hills are the same hills that I that I photographed oh it's awesome <laughs> on the um, A66, so uh, yeah, just, just <laughs> fantastic. And Glencoe is a place that we got to put on our bucket list now. I just had no, no idea about it before these videos, and I love it. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. It's a place that you could probably spend a week and not have enough time. Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning of this that there was a challenge you wanted to take on of going to a place, being in an environment you've never been, and so the Lake District, going from... Perth, Australia, South Coast photography, a lot of seascapes to going into the Lake District. What were what was one of the challenges that you had going into the Lake District doing landscape photography? Yeah, great question. Probably um, photographing mountains. Uh, oh. These just incredible mountains. I've never never experienced it. I'd, I'd never. I'd been across to New Zealand, so mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. seen mountains, but really to photograph them. I needed to think a little bit differently. I couldn't go for that oh. wide angle. I needed to zoom in uh, with my, my telephoto. That's why I'd go for a, a 24 to 70 or even a 70 to 200 and, and really start to um, you know, focus in a little bit tighter on those, on those, hills, on those mountains, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I don't need to do or don't get the opportunity of doing um, in, in Perth. Yeah, sadly. Uh, yeah, so that was, a big, that was a big change, but there was a opportunity where I was so close to Iceland that when I was finished mm. with the cricket tour in the UK, um, I spent <laughs> the money to, to fly myself across to Iceland and spend seven days in oh, Iceland, which wow. I think is just a, a dream of, of a lot of landscape photographers. It's it's a beautiful place to, to photograph. I have watched oh, so many hours of videos, of YouTube <laughs> videos, of of Iceland and started to understand where I wanted to get to and what was achievable within seven days. And uh, mm. it was, it's at the moment, one of my uh, biggest uh, adventure trips that I've done in terms of uh, landscape photography is to get all the way to, to Iceland and to be able to, to drive around. I uh, grabbed a motorhome and slept in the motorhome, which gave me lots of 
mm. flexibility of when I was available. That'd be you know, cool. How to get to locations and stuff instead of being That's tied down to um, hotel held hotel locations. I just slept in the car. Yeah, a combination of um, camping grounds and just open open spaces. There's as you can imagine, lots of open spaces in in Iceland that you can just mm. park a car behind a rock somewhere and uh, and sleep for a couple of hours, and I'd be out there. Um, ready for the for the sunrise and sunset. Right. Wow. And uh, I came away with some great great footage that uh, that'll that made it into lots of the videos that I did. And I I did actually do a video that was just dedicated to the the drone footage that that I uh, did. It wasn't a vlog as such. It was just combining all of the the footage from the Mavic. Uh, mm. uh, oh, awesome! With the background of some music. Yeah. I haven't seen That's that awesome. one yet. Awesome! I gotta check that out. So you were in Iceland now, completely different environment from Scotland and England, and maybe different or not so different from places out there in Perth. Did you have any challenges that were unique to Iceland doing photography? Yeah, yeah. Um, similar and same. It's very remote, but I certainly didn't feel uh, unsafe. Um, probably the biggest thing I needed to contend with was driving on a different side of the road that oh. still does my head in <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that 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 was a thing but um do they drive on the right side not... of the road in uh, iceland yes oh yeah so, oh, more like so just like just like yeah just like you guys do so yeah um <laughs> I, I don't know why that's that's different to other locations but anyway uh, that was something <laughs> that i had to wrap my head around quite quite quickly being uh, driving on being used to driving on the left hand side of the road <laughs> right um just uh, distances. I was over there in their summer, so I didn't have to cope with very cold weather. I didn't have to, to deal with ice on the road or any of those dangerous situations. Um, it was more just making sure that, again, I was safe. It's it's reasonably remote. Some, some of the locations are reasonably remote, but I stuck to the, um, the ring road. Uh, I didn't go right round oh. it, but I pretty much stuck to it. I, I did a almost a mini ring myself just in the bottom southwest portion of the country. Uh, even though I had seven days, I probably would have had time to go right round, but I wouldn't have been able to stop anywhere and, and spend that time taking photos. So I made the decision before I'd left to have a, a loose plan to just do a portion of, uh, of the country. If I was going to go across there for longer, I'd, I'd certainly go across there for longer because of the distance and the cost from Australia to Iceland and back again. Um, I'd definitely go there for four weeks, maybe six weeks, to really, um, you know, get the most out of that out of that trip and oh, be able to yeah. go to a location and get used to it and see it in a couple of different lights. Right, that's um, the dream. One of the other things that I needed to get used to was this light all day long. <laughs> um, yeah, is that what was going on in Iceland when you were there? Is they never set past you know? Did it set sunset at all at that time? Yeah, so it did. It did set, but it only set for about an hour and a half to two hours, and then come <laughs> oh, back so up. So it was never, wow, never yeah. dark. Yep. Wow. So what I did was I I changed my um, my sleeping pattern. So I slept during the day, still drove to places and and did some exploring, but that was predominantly where I did most of my sleeping. And I was up, you know, from anywhere after eight o'clock at night through to around about four o'clock in in the morning. Um, where it was the best light and the it was just incredible hour. light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... Uh, 
I didn't I didn't get a great sunset or sunrise. The best sunset was the hour that I was actually hopping onto the plane and oh, leaving of Iceland, unfortunately. <laughs> I've got an I've, I snapped a, a picture uh, with my iPhone as I'm basically walking down the ramp onto oh, man. Uh, onto the plane out of, out the window there, and it was just this fiery red um, sky. It would have just been amazing. But look, just the experience of of witnessing some of those incredible waterfalls. I've said earlier that I love waterfalls. Um, some of the mountains, some of the some of the black beaches, the, the icebergs and and ice lumps of ice that were on the beach. You know, I was in a different world, and I was reminded of that every hour that I was mm. there. It was a great experience just just for that. <laughs> Sounds awesome. That's an awesome place to take another break because Iceland's a dream of all of ours and it's becoming more and more popular. Faroe Islands is becoming more and more popular and Brennan and I are hoping to get out there. We mm. will be this year. Oh, it's just what a beautiful place, Andrew. When we come back from this last break, guys, let's do a gear time with Andrew Marr and also get a tip of the week from the man. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, guys. Uh, today on Gear Time, we're going to talk with Andrew Marr about some gear specifically that he mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of which is um, the 24-70 to lens. I want to discuss that a little bit with you and how that affects your landscape photography. And also want to talk to you about lens, uh, lens filters and how filters have changed your photography since you started using them. So, Andrew, if you don't mind... Let's start with the with the twenty four to seventy um, lens. I know that that's a, that's a popular lens with portrait photographers. Why do you like using that lens specifically for your landscapes? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's it's um, probably something that I have changed progressively over the last couple of years. Um, I think I used to think well because there's lots of uh, seascapes around Perth. I would grab just a wide angle lens. Right. So I've got a um, a seventeen to thirty five take it down to the beach just wide as I possibly could and just grab as much of that scenery as I possibly mm-hmm. can with that with that lens and not think too much about the focal length. But I've realised, particularly from the trip that I've done um, over the UK and, and Iceland that I mentioned before, but but even some of the some of the landscapes that I've taken that are not seascapes around Western Australia, I've noticed that my I tend now to go with the 24 to 70 a little bit a little bit more interesting um and and if i if i try and think about why i'm doing it one of the reasons is you know 24 is a is a pretty wide angle anyway it's it's pretty close to the angle that you get with your um with your iphone mm-hmm. it's, cl- it's close to that that focal length anyway sure it is um, pretty wide and it's a so it's it's a nice i suppose very much like a street photographer might have their favourite uh, focal length, like a thirty-five or a fifty, depending on what sort of style they're, they're taking in street right, photography. Right. You know, with landscapes, I think a twenty-five is is quite nice to the eye. Mm-hmm. And if I need to go go any wider, I, I've either got that other lens to go to on, in those situations, or I can take a, a panoramic uh, shot and get a, a little bit more detail in my image mm-hmm. and a, a little bit wider uh, set of my in my image. Um, but also when it comes to landscapes that are not seascapes, you know, there's lots of other focal lengths in between the 24 and the 70, which are, which are quite nice that, 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 uh, allow you to get a tighter, more intimate shot, you know, details in leaves or trees or, 
uh, cliffs and rocks and stuff like that, which um, which I think is really beneficial. It's been beneficial to my photography anyway. So I've moved away a little bit from the lands uh, from the seascapes, even though that'll always be a, a fairly significant part of my um, of my portfolio. Awesome. I'm, yeah, because a lot of times I notice our our typical go to lens is a fifteen to thirty. 35. And so I've noticed that even sometimes at 35, I'm not zoomed in as much as I want to be in a lot of situations. And, and I know, Oh, 15 to 30. Okay. 15 to 30. Yeah. 30 definitely. Um, and so having a 24 millimeter also, I've got a 24 millimeter tilt shift that I've used when I first used to go to do astrophotography. I took that out because that's the widest I had. And I found that on a full frame, that was actually pretty wide. It was very doable. And, um, and so I see how that makes sense to have that 24 to 70, um, would be really useful, especially when I think about my own photography and I think that might be a good lens for me to pick up. Yeah. All right. For this next, next, next spot, let's talk about, um, filters and how you use filters and how filters have changed your photography since you started using them. When was the first time you started realizing you needed filters or wanted to start using filters? How long ago was that? Oh, it was a few years ago. Um, probably couldn't tell you exactly but uh and i'm probably not unique in the way that filters have helped me with my photography it, it was just that uh with landscapes mm-hmm. um, you've got the sun setting in the background i don't tend to like shooting directly into the sun i like to have the sun at, at, at an angle probably f- around about 45 degree angle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i still have that challenge that the sky is so light and the foreground is so dark you've got that dynamic range right. that to the to the to the naked human eye, it, it looks fantastic. You try and capture that on a camera, and it and it's a challenge. Right. There's there's bracketing, um, but to have the filters and getting it, you know, you, you see the image starting to come together in camera. I'm not saying that I get it perfectly in camera, but it's closer to the final image in mm-hmm. camera mm-hmm. with with the uh, with the filters, and I think that that excites me. That that, that idea of creating the image while I'm out there, again, not getting it perfect. I don't claim to get it, get anything perfect in camera, but just getting it closer to what I want the final image sure, to be. Sure, sure. And then there's a there's a little less work to be done in in post processing, uh, and I like that. I, I I really enjoy being out. I think that's why most of us do landscape photography. We 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 like being in the outdoors. So if I can do most of the work out there, and there's less time for that I need to be post-processing my images in front of the computer, then then I'll I'll take that. Um, but yeah. it, but with the waterfall shots that I take and the seascapes shots that I take, I get a better understanding of how I can push the shutter speed, um, what sort of motion I'm going to capture within the within the water. Um, you know that that there I, I like I like the creative side of it. I like the I like the science behind of it as well. It, mm-hmm. It's where it's where science meets art. Um, and I, probably what I get out of out of photography are the combinations of those two. So I'm in there with filters. I'm I'm manipulating the light. Um, right. I'm, I'm physically blocking the light that I don't want in in my highlights in my sky. I'm able to increase that exposure and get more light in the foreground. And you know that's that's I'm doing that. <laughs> and right. so that's what I enjoy. That's what I enjoy doing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. So. So in terms of in terms of filters, I'm with the Lee filter system, okay. which is uh, which is really good. 
Um, so I'm using the, the leaf filter system and I have a range of different filters. I don't have all the filters in the world, but I have some graduated filters and I have some soft grad filters, some hard grad filters. I tend to use the hard grad filters for the uh, seascape. The sea, where yeah, the makes horizon sense. Yeah. is nice and straight. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, I'm often asked uh, by people who are just getting into filters, what's the best filter for me? And mm. uh, the only way to answer that question is, what are you planning on taking a photo of? Right, exactly. But basically for the reason that if your horizon is uneven, go for a soft graduated filter. If it's a flat horizon, then go for a hard graduated filter. If you're not too sure, get both of them. <laughs> And uh, and you're able to you're able to mix them up. Yeah. Uh, then, um, and then I've got a couple of uh, neutral density, uh, you know, big big stop and uh, and little stop uh, filters that just allow me to slow everything down when when the light is not quite as as perfect as I'd I'd like it to mm-hmm. be. So again, manipulating that light that's coming into the into the camera. I think that's being able to, that that whole process of being able to manipulate that that uh, that light in camera has helped me improve the, the, the images that I take. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of improve your images, for tip of the week, I want to ask you on the spot, if you could know something, okay, let's just say it this way. What do you wish you knew when you began that you know now? When you began your photography, what what do you wish that you knew that you know now? Yeah, it's, it, it's a very basic thing for me. Um, I, I sit through videos and I learn different techniques and uh, I'm, I'm self-taught, as I imagine a lot of landscape photographers are. Um, and really the key to getting better is just going out and shooting more, but shoot in conditions that you don't think are going to be quite right. I think that's a um. common theme throughout many of my videos. Um, not all the time, but quite often I'll go out you know, I'll get to the car park of the of, of the beach scene and it's pouring down with rain and I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to get an image here. But if you <laughs> yeah. just push and, and, and let's face it, it's cold, you'd much rather be in bed. Um, <laughs> you have to question why am I out here? But if you push through it, um, you know, more times than not, you you get to witness some amazing lights, some amazing scenery that most of the population doesn't get the opportunity of, of witnessing. And right. it gives you the opportunity of capturing some beautiful scenes and, and testing, testing and pushing and trialing these techniques that you might sit through an hour of YouTube videos coming up with different techniques. Um, it's not, it's not just the technique, it's the execution. And execution comes through practice and comes through practicing those skills in different, quite often difficult conditions, not the perfect conditions, it's difficult conditions. And that's where you get those, those incredible periods of light. Just after, the, just after the rain shower, that's when the beautiful light happens. Or mm. you know, when it's nice and cold, that's when the mist is. So if I had some advice, it would be about pushing myself to and reassure myself that it's in those situations where I need to get up, I need to get out of the car, I need to push myself over that <laughs> yeah. that line mm. because the opportunity of shooting in those conditions is going to be rewarding and it's going to in- improve my my photography. Yeah, it's nice. funny how often we love this hobby, we love what we're doing, and then we get talked out of going somewhere or getting out of the car because oh, you know. 
want this and this reason or this or this condition, we talk ourselves out of it, despite the fact that we love doing this. And I know that when I talk to other photographers and in mine and own Brendan's experiences, those those times when we think it's not going to work out, but we still show up, that some magic, something magic will happen. And so mm. completely agree. Absolutely agree. That's awesome advice. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. No worries, guys. So you have been a fantastic guest. You've taken up lots of time with us and hung out with us. Thank you for doing this. If people want to follow you and follow your photography, follow your videos, where can people find Andrew Marr online? Right. So uh, the best the best way of finding me is either through my website, which is andrewmarr.com.au. All right. Um, or on YouTube, um, all you've got to do is search for Andrew Marr Photography. Um, there is an un- there are yeah. plenty of Andrew Mars out there, and <laughs> there's a, a journalist <laughs> um, over in the, yep over in the UK who will if you just type in Andrew Mar you're more likely to come up with with him rather oh. than me. But if you just add add photography at the end of it, um, you'll you'll be able to find uh, my my uh, Twitter account, my Instagram. Uh, I use Instagram a little bit more, use Twitter a little bit, but uh, YouTube is the place to to find me. And I awesome. I love interacting with anybody who wants to talk to me about uh, any aspect of the photography yeah photography Andrew is a terrific guy. You guys will like interacting with him and like his videos. Just three days ago, he released a video about the iPhone 10 and doing long exposure seascapes with that, as well as just stuff from all over. I mean, he's got Kirkjafell right here. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's over there in Iceland. And uh, where is Quinnanup Falls? That's in Australia, it says. Landscape Photography yeah. in Australia. Mm. So you can think of Andrew Marr as the Thomas Heaton of Australia. And you should definitely follow <laughs> his videos. He's awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being on here with us. And we're very excited for the contract that we have laid out that we will show up in Australia and you get to hang out with us <laughs> and we get lucky enough to go out with you and have you show us where to go. And the same goes for you coming out here to Utah, man. Oh, absolutely. We'd love to show you around and have you see some stuff like the Narrows you had out there and the uh, Pilia Padraya. What's that place called again? The Narrow, the area. Oh, Pilbara. The Pilbara, Pilbara. Man, I couldn't pull that out right there. The Pilbara. That area will give you the Utah version of that area down Mm -hmm. in Zion because we'd love to have you. That'd be awesome. Well, guys, thanks very much for for inviting me on. Um, I love your podcast. I love the work that you do both on the YouTube and uh, and also through these podcasts. The uh, the guys that you have on, the girls and guys that you have on and interviewing (laughs) is is so interesting to me. So uh, I'll I'll continue listening and having the opportunity – uh, to do one myself has been fantastic. So uh, when you get out here, let me know. I will let you guys know when I'm over over in the States. Absolutely. And uh, we'll tee it up. And make that, it happy. Oh, that'd be awesome. It's incredibly humbling and surprising that when I go to send an email off to Andrew Marr saying, hey, man, I know we talked in the past about YouTube. Are you willing to come on to our podcast? We have a podcast. He goes, oh, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast on my way into work for a few months now. I couldn't believe it. I feel, (laughs) yeah, vindicated. Yes. (laughs) I mean, that was such a surprise. Thank you so much for listening to us. We're a couple of nutcases that love photography, and I'm glad that you have come along for the ride as a listener (laughs) long before you became an actual podcast guest. I mean, it was fantastic having you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. Welcome to 2018. Remember all of those goals and things that you said you were going to do in 2018? Well, it's already been one week, so stop wasting time. Actually, this comes out, it'll be two weeks. So stop wasting time. Get going on that and hit your goals. Hope everything's going well for you guys. Hope your goals are going well, Andrew. Good luck with your stuff in 2018. We hope that we can even come close to matching your popularity on YouTube someday. (laughs) That would be awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Andrew. We'll see you later. Thanks, guys. See you guys.